0: Welcome to The Athlete Diaries, I'm your host, Guy Walker. On this podcast, I take you through the journeys and challenges of professional athletes, from resilience to mental health and life away from sport. On this episode, i speak to a former teammate of mine, an overall legend, the Duke, Johnny Hastings. John had an amazing career that spanned over 12 years, that saw him play for seven different professional teams in England, Australia and India. He played years of white ball career for Australia and even pulled on the baggy green for his country. We cover plenty in this chat from his career, the injury setbacks and how it taught him resilience and leadership. Getting out Virat Kohli and AB De Villiers and being in the IPL auction. John also speaks about how he had to retire after coughing up large amounts of blood when he bowled. We speak about transitioning out of the game and how John is now running two successful businesses.
1: thanks for having me, mate. It's been a, been a long while since I've seen you sort of charging in, trying to knock my head off at
0: training, back, back in the day when you were a rookie, mate. But um, no, thanks for having me. That was about six years ago, I reckon. I reckon that was the last <laughs> time i a a boulder bowl a ball. Um, but we'll, we'll take it back to a little bit of, um, of your journey coming up. Born in New South mm-hmm. Wales, um, can you clarify the, the harness, the, the sulky story i've heard a few different versions of it how did a man the size of you get on the back of one of them harness chariots oh
1: mate you you wouldn't believe it i sort of where i grew up um my parents actually lived next door to each other if that makes sense so my grandma and my other grandma were both on land so quite quite a bit so it's not like you know they're next door neighbors and you can walk next door you sort of got to drive around and go up but um dad was always into his harness, um, harness racing. He was a, a trainer driver. Um, he owned a couple of nags, nothing really, um, good, but I used to love getting on the miniature trotters. What, what happened was every time at Penrith you'd in between the big races, you'd have the little mini trotters going out in between and having a race. So I sort of got into that and not, um, you know, I absolutely loved it growing up those horses. There was all sorts of things on our property, but, um, yeah, now my my cousin Freddie still calls the races as well. So he um he calls Penrith Menangle. It Used to be Harold Park back then as well. So yeah. um, mate, it was good fun. I absolutely loved it. And it was a running joke that you know I could do everything when I was growing up. All the boys used to give me stick because I'd water <laughs> ski and I'd you know drive horses and all this sort of stuff. But um yeah, I was I was lucky, mate. I had a really good um, really good upbringing with a lot of really good
0: experiences. And what about what about the Penrith Panthers? I, I actually. I've never heard that story. I've heard that you were good good at rugby, but what happened there? They tried to pick you up when you were younger as well. That story's grown absolutely massive legs over
1: the years. I um, <laughs> so, bet it has. So basically, I... Um, yeah, there's all sorts of things on the internet these days. Don't believe everything you read. But basically, when I was a Wikipedia. kid, I... Yeah, exactly. I think a few <laughs> of my mates have been in there and tampered with the Wikipedia page. But um, <laughs> no, look, when I, I loved my rugby league when I was a kid. And I was in a couple of sort of train-on squads for like Harold Matthews, the under-16 comp. And um, I went to a really good rugby league school, which was St. Dominic's College in Penrith. And um, I was actually stopped playing rugby league when I was probably about 14. Um, and then I started playing rugby union. And I made the the triple C, which is like the, the combined Catholic Colleges side, and played in the, um, the Australian Schoolboys tournament. And that was literally as far as it went, mate. It was sort of <laughs> everyone's like, you know, you could have played, could have played rugby, could have done this, but um, I was never tough enough to play rugby. Anyway, I absolutely loved it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was sort of Australian Schoolboys Championships was a, with the furthest I ever got.
0: I don't, I, I would hate to see you trying to run into into someone. I, I can see why some people would say you could have been a serious <laughs> rugby player.
1: It was good fun. I mean, I, I, I love
0: about that sort of growing up in a rural mm. area. You could do anything,
1: mate. You know, I was on the, driving the paddock bashes when I was 13 and I was, you know, on the motorbike and um, golf courses, tennis. I was into everything. Um, you know, basketball squads when I was younger, um, the rugby yeah. and the cricket. So, that's the benefit, I reckon, sometimes of, of growing yeah. up in a rural area. It's, it's pretty good. There's so many
0: opportunities and, um, you know, everyone knows everyone. So, it's, you know, you go from one sport to the other. So, I was very lucky. I was speaking to one of your, your good friends, Bobby Quiney, yesterday. And oh, that's dangerous. I was trying to
1: – yeah,
0: I know. Yeah, he, me some, he did give me some good stories. But <laughs> I tried to get an understanding of how you got over to Victoria and – he said to me, the first thing he said was that he walked into, I'm not sure what it is. He said it was something about the emerging players game. Yeah. Um, and he said that the first thing he saw of you was a massive peroxide spiked hair, big Oakley sunglasses, <laughs> charging in. And yeah. he said, from the moment he met you, yeah, you were an absolute legend. And, mm-hmm. and he said, that's how Victoria first, first saw you as a cricketer. How, how did that ended up coming about? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's one of the great <laughs> We absolutely
1: love him, don't we? But um, no, look, I, the first time I actually would have seen Bob would have been we played a a game at uh, Central Reserve I think and it was a it was a pretty famous game it was um it was a second level game but it was a game where I think Victoria had to roll in about seventeen players because I think Clint McKay started the game Bobby started the game Dirk Nannes was in there. Uh, Nick Jewell I think was in that game as well and they sort of got called off to there was a few injuries in the big squad so they got called out halfway through and a few more players came in I think Grant Lindsay was playing so it was um, we actually had Graham Thorpe as well um, former England opening batter and he came over to do a coaching stint sort of like a playing coaching stint for our second 11 boys and I remember he got a a pair and got bowled by Dirk Nanez and he goes that's it I'm never playing again he's too quick (laughs) for me that that bloke But um, I think think that game I got and five for, and that was one of the last games of the season. And then I had a phone call when I was playing in Wimbledon um, from Greg Shippard. And he said, you know, introduced himself and obviously knew who he was. Had a very, very good coaching credentials. And um, he just sort of said, look, we want you to come down to Victoria. No promises, um, but we'll, we'll give you a two-year deal. Um, we'll come down work hard. He goes, I think we can really work on your batting. Um he goes, well, I think we can probably get another yard on you with bowling as well with our fitness staff. So that was sort of the start of it. And it just happened to be that we, they used to have a Tattersall's sponsored um, emerging players tour. Yeah. And they used to go either to England or I think Sri Lanka or, or one of the subcontinent um, places. So I, I, that was the first time I would have met Bob properly. And I for some reason, I went over as a I oh, in the school holidays, where I was just a dime hair. So after <laughs> after school finished, I was like, right, that's it. Get the tips back in and carry on like a, a right toss. But um, yeah, I, it was a great tour. I met. I think Beery was on that tour. Jade Herrick, Pete Neville, uh, Clint McKay was in and out as well, I think. So Dave Hussey was actually over there at the time. I met him actually at Wimbledon at the tennis um, yeah. when I'd signed the contract. He reached out and touched base and said, look, I'm, I'm going to the tennis. I said, look, I just literally lived up the hill. Um, from the tennis center in Wimbledon, yep. so that's who was I was nice playing ball. with over there, and mate, it was absolutely marvellous. We lived in a, a proper house as well, yeah, wow. um, so it was it was good times, and that's sort of where I f- fell in love with the Victorian culture yeah. and, and the boys there. So it was, um, yeah, it was really good.
0: Yeah, one one thing Bobby brought up a few times was that um, when you did move over to Victoria, that you lived with Jerry Denton. He's not someone that I knew, and he was a bit before my time. And Bobby mm. said that you did learn a little bit about, a little bit from him. What was, what was so infamous about living with, with Jared? I've heard a few <laughs> stories. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, <laughs>
1: honestly, he, he is one of the greatest blokes on the planet. Like on a, he, he, he had a metabolism faster than Usain Bolt. I reckon if that's <laughs> even possible. Like seriously, he, he would, he'd come home, he'd eat, eat a pizza or a pasta. And I oh, would just be like, can't be eating this stuff. What's going on here? But the next day he'd get up. You now he had a lot of injuries throughout his career, and um,
0: he, he was like
1: me. Loved loved hard work and loved a good time, and um, we just clicked right from from ball one. He was one of the funniest men on the planet. He was absolutely just had me in stitches the whole time. But I, I, I learned a lot from from what he did, just to conduct himself and how he got got ready to play. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he had probably three or four ankle ops in the time that I was. I was with him. Um, but as I said, he'd get up, you know, he'd he'd go to training. He'd be the first bloke there. He'd be the last to leave. He was meticulous in his rehab. And that was some of the life lessons I learned really early on as a 21 year old kid coming down from the country, from New South Wales. I just sort of thought shit. You know, the first time I drove down, it was, Hook turned in the city and <laughs> pulled over by the police. And they would say, mate, what are you doing? I said, look, it's my first time in the city. Just give us a break, can you? Um, but no, he, he, was, he was an absolute ripper. He taught me a lot about life, taught me a lot about bowling um, and taught me a lot about how, how to train and, and get your body right. And I took a lot of those lessons throughout my whole career. So he was one of the real early influences, I reckon, when I moved down to Victoria, among others. But um, yeah, we obviously he got a really good connection with Footscray cricket club as well and he was he was a long serving member there and mm. um it was an easy decision to to move in with him yeah. i actually think he i think he flicked his, his misses the first weekend i came down he was like this is going to be too much fun let's <laughs> <laughs> let's let's move in together and um, away we went so it was good
0: fun yeah it is important isn't it who you do first move in with when you're young and who you learn it off cuz i even spoke to mm. to max gorn yesterday on on this podcast and he was even saying when he was younger it's it's that sense of belonging isn't it to to the team and the way you fit in and there's studies done that that male professional athletes actually can't perform until they feel like they actually belong so it was would you say that jared was mm. probably someone that helped you almost just be yourself and be able to express what you're feeling yeah
1: oh, without doubt i reckon you know i reckon it's a huge point when you, when you especially when you move states or in Max's case, if you're an AFL youngster and get drafted, I think one of, one of the biggest things you'd, you'd probably want as a young young kid is to be accepted. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not it's. But I think a lot of young kids sort of get a little bit misled in a sense that you have to do something different, or you you know you, you've got to fit in a certain way, but or, or mould yourself into what you think the expectation is, rather than just being yourself and learning off all the older guys that have gone before you. And that's sort of one of the biggest key things that I learned when I was a youngster was, you know, you you can't go and be someone who you're not because you get found out pretty quickly. So, you know, you just got to watch what the other leaders do in the group and just try and emulate them. I picked out Andrew McDonald. I picked out Jared Denton. um, Damien Wright was one of those that I sort of, you know, drew drew towards Brad Hodge um, and, and even Cameron White. You know, these guys are bloody successful players and really good blokes and that was sort of the thing that the biggest bit of advice I got was you know, just be yourself but learn from, from everyone around you and I, I, any, time I get a chance to speak to a young group or young people in general in, in the sporting world that's probably one of my biggest
0: bits of advice is just be yourself
1: but learn how the others do it as well. Yeah, so I think that's that's one of the one of the biggest points I reckon.
0: Yeah, it's funny that you say that as well because two blokes, you and you and Max, at at the top of their games, um, in different sports. Actually, it sounds like you're saying the exact same things. It's just about being yourself, and um, mm. yeah, it, it's it's probably a harder thing to do than, than probably people imagine. But yeah, you've just got to try and um, be yourself, get along, and just do what you want to do, mm. and, and that's probably the best way you're going to learn. Oh, um, back to you. Back to your first class debut. I read somewhere I, I didn't know that, but you were going to make mm. your first class debut against India. What an experience that would have been! And then, yeah. and then it ended up getting rained off, didn't it?
1: Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. I think we bowled. Oh, I think we bowled around about ten overs or something like that. And I think I had, I think I bowled like one point four overs or something like that. I think. And Nick Joel was was in gully, and I still remember when I were over with him to this day. I'll I'll bring it up, but I think he dropped Sarah of Ganguly oh. at Ganguly um, at Gully, So I think that would have been a nice handy little start. It, um yeah, unfortunately got right Now it was a three day match supposed to be at the junction and, um, Melbourne weather typical as it is very unpredictable. And, um, yeah, unfortunately I think mum came down from Sydney
0: and
1: <laughs> yeah, it was gonna, it was gonna, it was gonna be, you know, awesome. Make your debut against, uh, against India. I think Finchy debuted in that same game oh, wow. actually. So, um, yeah, it was. It would have been a nice memory to, to jag a couple in that game, but um I made my Sheffield Shield debut I think the week later as well. C Mac Clinton did his side yeah. and there was three games left um in in the season. Victoria, we were I think we we're on top. It was us and Queensland for those years when, when I first came down that were two of the best sides in the comp. Um and I I think I think I, I was just about to get sent home, I reckon. I was I had a batting average in district cricket of about ten and a bowling average of about fifty-two. <laughs> so it was sort of flipped on its head; it was the other way around. And for whatever reason, my butt just kicked into gear that last sort of probably two months of of the two thousand eight nine season, I reckon it was. And you know, if it wasn't for for that game that I got picked against India, I bowled all right at one point four overs, um, then I made got five from my Sheffield Shield debut against my old state, New South Wales, and. I honestly think to this day, if I hadn't have hadn't have sort of pulled my finger out and um, realised what I was, because, you know, I think the first couple of years I had a good time and I probably didn't take it as seriously as I, I would have liked. Um, you know, I was drank a fair bit and whatever else, and but I'd always you know, turn up the training, put in, and I just wasn't giving myself the best chance. And towards the back end of the season, I pulled my head in and just focused solely on what I needed to do to try and hang around for the next few years. And then I think I took 18 wickets in three games and CMAC came back for the final. But I started the very next year and played a full season. And then I was away. You know, I knew what it meant to to train hard and and play well and look after your body and all that sort of thing. So it was a really big turning point that Indian game
0: yeah it's it, again like it's incredible to hear the similarities in even though it's AFL and cricket yours and Max Maxi's story mm. is that he's his first four or five years he probably wasn't as diligent with his body and liked a good time and, yeah, but it's almost like people look at it and go well like why don't you do that from the start of, start of your career but when you're 18, 19, 20 like you're just trying yeah. to figure out who you are and what you want to become and There's some other distractions, aren't there? So, like, it's yeah, Yeah.
1: it's 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 a massive point, I reckon, because you know, for me, I was I grew up in a little country town called Londonderry in New South Wales, and coming down to the big smoke, there's you know, there's nightlife, there's cafes, there's all sorts of different things that sort of you go, geez, this isn't in Hawkesbury, like (laughs) you know, so I sort of gave myself an early experience of mate, I, I love nothing more and still do than going to a pub, sitting there at midday, getting the form guide out, drinking twenty pots, twenty five even, maybe thirty, and then just <laughs> or a hundred. Rolling rolling or yeah, that's it. And just rolling on home. Yeah. I, it took me a long time to realise, you know, that that's probably not something that you need to do as a as a young kid, yeah. um, trying to make your way. And until you actually go through the process and you learn that. know i can sit here till i'm blue in the face and tell four or five youngsters that they need to knuckle down when they're when they're 18 and you know there's balance in life and and in in training and and all that sort of stuff but until you actually go through it you learn um you can't get told and i was like that you know i I couldn't get told but i certainly figured it out quicker than i than i thought i would have um especially for the first couple of years it was sort of you're wasting your time a little bit. I was, I, felt like I was wasting my time. So, yeah, I just for whatever reason, I just, it just clicked, and and then forever, then I was, you know, working hard on my game and, and trying to get myself in, in the best shape. There's time for when you can, when you can sort of relax and let your hair down yeah. and go on a trip away and whatever else, have a good time. Then you come back and it's time to work. So that was really important for me to
0: figure out early. Yeah, it's that's a good point as well, isn't it? There, there is a time that you can go and do that, and some I think the younger players sometimes can miss that time where they actually shouldn't be doing Mm. it and should be doing it with bobby actually did mention to me as well is i've been to the sorrento hotel quite a few times and i've never seen a (laughs) plaque with your name in it is that is that the true story yeah
1: yeah it is um when was it It was a few years ago now um i think it was actually around this time i think it was queen's birthday weekend um a few years ago uh, I was sort of just coming back. I was you know, getting ready to – it was obviously pre-season and, and getting back into my work. I had an ankle op, just a minor one. But, yeah, it went down. Um, if you're having a bet and you look at the electronic betting terminal, you turn around, there's, there's a little Duke's 100 on there. Um, so, normally they give you – I think they give you about five days. It used to be. I don't, they don't do it anymore, obviously, from responsible service of alcohol and all that sort of thing. <laughs> but, um yeah,
0: it was it was good. It was a great weekend. Um, but yeah, the old hundred hundred plaques up there for sure. Hundred pots in what was it, three three days in, was it? Two days. Two and a half. Jeez, yeah. is, you're a big man, but even just... even then that that's a good <laughs> effort. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I was just was just took it easy that weekend
0: as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. Um, um back back in two thousand and ten, um, so you obviously mm. you, you changed you changed. When that clicked, that you knew that you had to, to probably try and pull your head mm. a little bit, uh, to work hard yeah. and know when to have a good time. But you obviously had a, f- a few good years then playing one day cricket and and first class cricket in Victoria, and you made your debut for Australia in in ODI in England, uh, in India. Mm. Sorry, um, what was yeah. that like? How did you how did you get the call? Like, what emotions? Can you run through what that was like? Yeah,
1: it was. Um... You know, it was the end of two thousand nine, ten summer. So it was the start of the next season. I reckon it was. It was a weird, weird one. It was normally unscheduled tour. So three games in India, three one days. Um, there was quite a few injuries around. Um, I think you know, Nanas was injured. Tate was injured. A few of the others, and they they decided to to give me a go. I had I got grabbing Young Cricketer of the Year the previous yeah. year. and There's a lot of sort of prestige to go around that award, and I. I I had my best year that I had in two thousand nine ten. You know, there was we won the won the flag and it was awesome. I, it was great memories, but it sort of really hit home to me that you know, this is where I wanted to be and this is where I want what, what I wanted to do. So you know, I knuckled down. I I, I remember getting a call. Um, it was Trevor Holmes back then before he um, went away from cricket again and then came back. But um, I remember crackering ring me and just saying, "Mate, congratulations! You're on your first Australian tour." I thought it was one of my mates. Taking the piss out of me. I said, you've got to be kidding. I said, what's, what's Brett lay up to? And Nathan Bracken, like, come on. Um, but no, it was it was an amazing, amazing experience. When I over, we got washed out the first two games. No, the f- first game. Then we played the second and then got washed out the last. So we only played one game. But I, I learned a hell of a lot over there. I thought I'd always trained hard. But when you get to that level, it goes up another 40, 50%. Yeah. And when I came home from that, I, I thought, jeez, I have got to really lift my game here, and um, had a little taste of the cricket academy, and we just got smashed up there. No, no end. It was just relentless, and I kind of like that element of it. I, I, I like working hard and feeling like you, you're improving every day. You go out there, and what better way to, to spend it than spend eight hours a day training when you're up in Brisbane? But yeah, going back to the the one day, I think we, I reckon we got beaten that game as well. Yeah. Um, but I, I remember how Virat Kohli was on 100. And I'd played him when I was 17 over in India. New South Wales sent a tour over. Um, it was another 21s tour. And I, I said, oh, there's, there's this young kid's a gun. And I said, oh, okay, you know, or just, um, turns out to be Virat Kohli. I didn't know at the time, but I was looking back through old scorecards and that was certainly him. Wow. Um, so I got, he was on 100, 116 or eighteen, I think he was. And Cam White took the catch down at Long Island. So he was my first wicket. And then MS Dhoni left one and got bowled the next next one so I thought hey, I couldn't believe it um you know Mitchell stark and I debuted in the same game as well yeah. so um, it was it was a special moment and learned a lot of lessons over there just from training and seeing what the big boys do it's it's phenomenal but the other thing I probably noticed and learnt as well was that the pressure on you and the eyes on you are even heavier you know like it goes up such a it's huge in you know you know it's like you get you play your game and it's maybe 45 people there Um, and their dog and that's (laughs) about it. but you know there's there's millions and millions of people watching all around the world and they're just under the microscope a lot so everything just gets amplified and you the pressure cooker is just absolutely huge so I learned a lot of lessons from that tour yeah
0: do do you still look at do you look at Virat now scoring all these hundreds and go yeah I got him in the pocket (laughs) Yeah, oh,
1: far out. I, he was. You've got
0: some good ones. Oh, mate. I, I, honestly, I,
1: I don't know what it is, but yeah, Virat, he was always a star. He came over and did a stint over in um, the Cricket Academy. I think there was an exchange sort of program going on between the Bangalore Cricket Academy or the Indian Cricket Academy and ours, and we'd send fast bowlers and spinners over, and they'd send all their yes. batters over to learn how to play, and I remember seeing him at the, the cricket academy. Going, this guy's an absolute freak. You know, like you, you can you can just tell when a young young player has it, and he certainly had it. But yeah, I still enjoyed getting him out. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could imagine, mate. And then that next year, you got named in in a World Cup squad for the 2011 mm-hmm. uh, World Cup. What, what was that like, mate? And where where was that? That was India and, and Pakistan yeah. again, wasn't it? Uh, it was India,
1: Sri Lanka, like, uh, Bangladesh. Yeah,
0: I think it was, and it was yeah. Oh, amazing
1: experience um you know talk about pretty good names in that team yeah yeah, yeah. it was it was amazing because i think i think Clip McKay was doing really well and then he got injured i can not remember what he actually did i think it might have actually been a side again or might have been his knee but anyway he was injured i sort of was a like for like replacement that they thought i could sort of try and bowl a few slow balls and be you know match well up to the subcontinent conditions and Dirk Nanez was injured as well and was bowling really well at the time, but he came as sort of like a 16th tour tour member. Um, And I think, speaking about the 2010 tour that made my debut, I I actually think the 2011 one taught me a lot of where I needed to be and what I needed to do. I absolutely trained the house down that tour. I I could not have given any more in the nets, any more training, you know, fitness-wise away from the game, Um, but I, I was a sponge. I just loved to soak it all up on Tim Clark um, you know yep. Johnson Tate was there Lee was there it was just ridiculous you know the name's Hussey Watson uh, it's endless yeah, So Smith yeah, yeah Smudge was there <clears throat> he and I were running drinks for most of it I actually think Tim yeah. Payne was, was on the list as well Dave Hussey so, so yeah, yeah we, we had a really good time but you know that, that tour taught me a lot about watching Ricky Potting Train and and watching, you know, Johnson come in, and it was just ridiculous how hard these blokes trained and how much they actually just the cricket nuffies really. And I, yeah. I never really was that in, into every other player. They, like they could have told you the top twenty players in Bangladesh, in Sri Lanka, you know, all, all the sort of countries you you don't really see too much on our screens, and they could tell you who's who. So. I probably from then did a lot of research and a lot of homework on different batters and different players that I'll come up against. So I really sort of fit my mindset a bit and got a, a lot smarter about my cricket from 2011 onwards after that World Cup. And yeah, I was, it's it's amazing. You know, I, I still remember the quarter final, We got knocked out by India, and mm. we had this thing. Tim Nielsen had this thing about going out there united as a group, so we'd always walk out together as a warm up. And I think the stadium. I met about held sixty thousand. I still reckon there was about another hundred outside waiting to get in, and it was ridiculous. Like I'd never heard a boo so loud in my life. And you know, walking out together as a group for warm up, we were, the four of us obviously weren't playing, but to see that and what it meant to the the Indian fans over there it was just phenomenal. Like I, I still can't get over. I, I still hear it all the time in my head, the the boos out there. and They had pup playing up to the crowd and it was just you know agitating him a little bit so it was um yeah, yeah it was a pr- pretty pretty special time and um you know one that i really probably switched me in a different direction to to be a lot smarter about my cricket and helped me a lot in that tour for sure
0: yeah what's what's india i've been to india before but as an under 19 and mm. even for us they they had no idea what our names were they just knew that we we're australian cricketers and yeah. thousands and thousands of indian fans would swamp the hotel rooms and that was just for us what was it like i i I think i remember the one thing that i think you said to me before i went to india was something that you don't know what india is like until you've been there and then when i understood that when i got there Mm. um what was it like for you guys being such being such big names yeah like is it almost because there's quite a few stories isn't there about how some indian fans snuck into some players dressing room uh, into their Mm. hotel rooms and yeah that, that kind of thing as well yeah, no, it's it's certainly mate. It's it's unbelievable,
1: really. Like I, and for me, even going over in 2010, they knew everything about who I was. They'd you know watch the games. They had the, your cards to sign and all this sort of stuff. And you're like, jeez, I haven't even done anything yet, and these these people yeah. just they're so passionate and live and breathe cricket. Like it's ridiculous. They have effigies burning out the front of stadiums if one of their players doesn't do well. They'll light you on fire. I, it's ridiculous. It's it's one of the most intense places, but one of the best places I've been as well. There's, you know, yeah. I like the Indian people and I love going to India. Um, you know, every chance I always got, I'd I'd head over there if it was for an IPL tournament. I recently, the, the most recent time was for to commentate on the the Australian T yeah. Twenty series, and I absolutely enjoyed it. Just got out and about at the hotel a little bit because scrutiny is so tight when you're over there because. How passionate they are They would never hurt you But They just want to touch you And try and get as close As they can to you So it's kind of It can be a bit scary The first little bit I was like I was blown away by um, Just how passionate they were How much they loved Any cricketer Let alone Australian cricketers But I was also blown away by The poverty that's there um, And how You know The other half lives The rich Are so rich um, And the poor are, are, Are so poor There's sort of no middle ground So yeah. yeah, I mean, I still remember one of the times we were in the IPO. My wife came over and we're in a shopping center. And I just thought, no one's going to know who I am. I'm just going to roll down. We'll just go and have a look at the shops. We've been in the hotel for so long. And by the end of it, there was 20 or 30 people following us around. And I'm just like, boys, we didn't, and, you know, we just sort of walked out from the hotel and up we went. And It was incredible. It was sort of, a, it was a little bit intimidating. Well, it was a lot intimidating a lot of intimidation in that sort of moment. You know, my wife was like, what's going on here? What are they going to do? And I'm like, no, it's fine. <laughs> but just that sort of, those sort of memories, you just, yeah. yeah, it's incredible. I remember having a scam one time and I went in, sat down into the hospitals and it wasn't a great place to be, let's be honest. Like, it's, You know, there's a lot better facilities over here. Where people don't realise how lucky we are in Australia, to be honest. But yeah. by the time I'd gotten out of the MRI machine for a scan on my ankle, the whole hospital had signed this massive big A3, get well, hasting, no S, <laughs> and my wife was and she's like, is this for real? Like, it's just extraordinary how, how that sort of, how, how they operate well, yeah. and how, how nice they are over there. But yeah, some seriously good memories and a, and a wonderful place to go and visit. But no, you've got yeah. you've definitely got to have your wits about you and. Yeah, it's sad at times, because there is a lot of poverty, but the people that I played with in the IPL was, was awesome, you know, I had a really good time over yeah. there and learned a lot when I was there, so yeah, some, some really good memories there.
0: And now a message from our amazing partner, Mendel. The Athlete Diaries is proudly supported by Mendel a Melbourne-based, non-for-profit apparel label aimed at igniting conversations and raising awareness around men's mental health. All proceeds from sales go directly to a charity of the month. With the discount code AD20, just for our listeners, you can join the Mendel movement today with 20% off at www.mendel.com.au. It was, it was a pretty whirlwind three years for you, wasn't it, when you made your debut? Because then you you in that World Cup squad as well and then the year after that, you got named in to play your first test match. Um, I, can, I can quite vaguely remember when you were going to play as well and having some of your mates go over to, to Perth to, to watch you play. How did that call come up and did you, did you think that you were close to playing when, when you got the call up? Uh, you know what, I had the year before
1: that, I had, so it was 2011, the World Cup, and then I missed the whole 11 12 season with a shoulder injury. So I was 18 months out of the game and went up to the academy, obviously had done really well before that. And then the 2012 made my debut, so it was the next year, but it was the next season. And I just remember being in the academy thinking, actually, my shoulder's come back really good here. I'm, I'm as fit as I ever have been. I'm. I could start the season really well here and do all right. I never thought I'd play test match that summer. I had it in the back of my mind that I potentially was suited to subcontinent conditions and potentially an India tour or Bangladesh or something like that. Or Sri Lanka. But to get the call up like I did was was awesome. Like I remember starting the year I took five from my first game back after being eighteen months out of the game and I thought, right, I'll back here. Keep yourself right, keep yourself fit. You know, try and do everything you possibly can. And then another game went by, did pretty well that game. Another game went by, <clears throat> sort of deep into the season. Now, the first half of the season before the break for the um, T20s. And there's a game against the Redbacks. And John Inverarity was then head selector. And he came to watch that game. Um, Peter Siddle... I, you remember Fafduplasebe had it out the whole day and, and Sid's put in yeah. that marathon spell. It had a twinge in his hammy and, and Hilf... Um, Benny Hilfenhouse had a twinge in his hammy as well. So we got... Josh Hazel and myself got the call up, went over to Perth and I didn't know if I was going to play. I thought, you know, they were still undecided whether Sid's or Hilfie were, were going to miss. Um, so I went over there, tried to train the house down for a few days. Turns mm-hmm. out Ricky Ponning's last game, he was pretty emotional speaking to everyone in front of the group. And I was like, wow, you know, this is amazing. Yeah. And everyone says it, you know, boy, you would dream to wear the baggy green. But it absolutely is, mate, you know. and yeah. So, yeah, had a, had a really good three or four days leading into the, the game. My mum came over. My now wife came over. A couple of really good mates came over. And didn't know if I was going to play until the morning of the game. It turns out Josh Hazel had a hot spot and wasn't going to play anyway so it was me left and I was always going to play so yeah <laughs> it was amazing how it all worked Is just not knowing and not sleeping the night before and then you turn up on the morning a bit of a tinge of green um yep pretty happy to yeah see pretty happy to see that and then all of a sudden <laughs> you know Gilly's handing my, my bag of green to me which is a special moment and Know, some of the things he mentioned about what it meant to him to play for Australia and how much he's got out of just one one simple cap, as he put it, but it's certainly not that, as as he also put it. Um, but yeah. you know, just to hear what he he had to say about what what it meant to him to play for Australia and the sacrifices and you know the journey that he had, we've got a special bond now. I, every time I catch up with him, I you know we always have a beer and <clears throat> mention that that sort of moment, and it's pretty special. So. I, I still remember I hadn't opened the violin for Victoria for probably about two and a half years I think and that was only one day in the wacker when I was pushing up into it and <laughs> the Pup goes oh by the way mate you're, you're going to open the, the bowling from the Inverarity stand in. I said what, well, sorry what was that mate? I was like holy <laughs> shit what, what have I got myself in for here so the nerves set in and went out there bowled a pile of absolute crap before lunch um, yeah. we'd done alright, we'd knocked I think there were four or five down at that stage and I remember coming off the ground and thinking that is not me. That's not who I want to be or who I want yeah. to perform like. And I went out during the, I said, Craig McDermott was, um, the bowling coach. I said, Billy, let's go, mate. I need to have a bowl at lunch. And he goes, yeah, you do. He goes, just come in and hit the deck. What are you doing? You're floating it up there. And I said, yeah, I know. Yeah. But, he goes, I know what it's like. It's all good. Just, you know, and then he went through a couple of key things with my action and, um, Got it. Got it sorted in the lunch break. Came out after the break. Started hitting the deck hard. Uh, started swinging the ball, and I still to this day think it's the best ball I've ever bowled to get AB to Villiers out. So that was, you know, one of the when you look back and finish my career. I haven't played for a couple of years, and that's still yeah. one of the one of the most um, YouTube thing on my phone. That's for
0: sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been bookmarked. Yeah, Mate, yeah. I, I, I watched it as well. Like, do you sometimes just think about that and relive that? Like you bowled. I watched it a couple of times this morning and you bowled quite well the over before and then that ball just swung away nicely. AB de Villiers, nicked to first slip, Michael Clark catches it. That's your first test wicket. Like, I don't think you could have scripted that any better. Do you still Do you still try and relive that moment a little bit?
1: Yeah, I, 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 I seriously, I haven't watched it for a while, but I might watch it after this. We'll see how we go. <laughs> no, I, I remember um, Ed Cowan had dropped... Um, Actually, uh, we had a, like a shortish sort of mid wicket. It was a, almost a bit of a plan that we'd try and bowl nice and straight to him. But he was so good off his legs anyway. But we just thought maybe the extra bounce and the ability to t- try and hold the ball off the straight. Might just get it yeah. to the leading edge or get caught and slip. But he sort of chipped one to Ed and he just put it down. I was like, oh, no. I thought, I'm, <laughs> I'm never, I'm never going to get a wicket here. But, um, <laughs> yeah, after that, I started the bowl really well. and. You know, I, it's a shame, really, because I I hurt my back um, when I was batting in the first innings. I'd stayed in Morkel in their prime, bouncing the absolute bejesus out of me, and I was pretty nervous. I just pushed one off the back foot. Faafdupli ran around, grabbed it with one hand. I thought I'm gone. You know, I dived, and I um, pinched the facet joints in my L four L five and. Gizel was sore, and I still had to go out and bowl in the second inning. So I took a lot of a lot of uh, sort of painkillers to try and get through that last innings. But then I missed the next month of cricket while that sort of settled down. It's quite a painful thing. It yeah. used to happen to me, you know, once or twice every few years. I'd blow a join joint out and get some injections and rehab it back to normal. But yeah, you never know what could have been. I suppose after the after that test, yeah, um, you know, it was it was a special moment. I mean, it always always going to be when you when you get handed your bag of green.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's one thing with your career as well. I think you've had, you've had an amazing career today, but it doesn't come without its injuries. I think you've had quite a few shoulder surgeries and back problems, ankle problems. How many, how how many years do you reckon that's, that's, that's taken off your career, all the injuries that you had?
1: Yeah. I probably only haven't really realized how
0: much it's taken off my career until probably, you know, the last
1: sort of 12 months. You know, you look back and you go, jeez, I missed a total of probably about three and a half years with injury. If you add it all up and have a look at all the games, yeah. I missed 18 months with the shoulder, which was my last shoulder recode, four shoulder operations, four ankle ops. I'll never never forget the day I was bowling down at Tassie and I, I used to go wide of the crease sometimes to try and change the angle up on the batter and I just went wide of the crease and just felt this pop in my knee and I thought... What is that? What's going on now? Like Surely. I said, it was not normally you can count on my back or my shoulder or my ankle being the one that's going to be sore. I never really had a soft tissue injury. Um, but yeah, I cracked the front of my patella off. So I broke my patella in, when I was bowling. Wow. So even that, I was like, are you serious? It was, you know, when I was sort of in, in the prime of playing the second stint of, of one day internationals for Australia. And I just thought, what is going on? You know, everything I I tried to, tr- get myself right for it just and then something like that just stupidly happened so had to have an operation on that removes a bit of bone and retax the tendon so yeah it was yeah. it was frustrating um you know and, and probably playing county cricket as well took another maybe 12 or 18 months off 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 my my cricketing career i really put in for durham over there and had a really good time in yeah. worcestershire as well so they probably didn't see the best of me unfortunately worcestershire i <laughs> would have liked to have played a little bit better for them, but I was sort of nursing my knee coming back, and um, you know I thought yeah. I was right to go. I never would have committed if I didn't think I was. But um, there was a Champions Trophy there in two thousand and seventeen that I really wanted to push for and try and get right. Mm-hmm. Having a conversation with with Cracker Holmes, it was it was about trying to go over there, getting some cricket under my belt. Um, I did it all right the first few games, and then I sort of just fell away a little bit got in the Champions Trophy squad and and then that was sort of the goal and then, you know, the body wasn't right towards the end. So that was actually the last first-class game I played actually was for Worcester. So there
0: you go. Yeah, well, how it works, hey I think one thing that I've I've spoken to a few people about is how important it is to when you are in the long-term injury boat and how hard it is for athletes. It, It is so important, isn't it, that you are spending time away from cricket in this sense doing something different than playing cricket I think it does make you into a different person doesn't it with the resilience that you build in the adversity but what it how did you go about long-term injuries was it different the, the the more injuries you got and the older you got did you try and study or do work experience or try get away from cricket or give everything to cricket how did you go about it
1: yeah it's a it's an interesting one isn't it and I mean you've, you've lived it yourself Tex, but you know, for me, it was my first few. I, I think I didn't really take it as seriously as I would have liked. I reckon if I'd have knuckled down and, and done my rehab meticulously, then I, I probably wouldn't have been in the position to have more and more operations as, as the journey went on. But being young, as we said earlier, you know, being young and not yeah. really knowing the right way to go about things at times, you sort of forget all about it. You know, for me, I, I could have done a lot more study. My first little bit when I was out of the game for eighteen months, I thought it was going to be my last crack at trying to play, and I was still only sort of—you know—I would have been only twenty-four or five then. And you know, for yeah. me, it was uh, looking back, you just kick yourself thinking that you didn't use your time more productively. Um, it wasn't probably till the back end of my career where I started to get injured and started to look at other things and doing, you know, small business courses or PT or whatever it is, and setting yourself up for for the next stage because it comes around so quick, you know? And yeah, I would have loved to have done my rehab a lot better and ticked a lot of boxes when I was younger so that that would have held me in a really good state instead to try and, you know, protect those sorts of areas going forward. But if I can give any advice to any youngster that has an injury in a professional sporting setup is just to try and get out of the bubble because it's so consuming, yeah. you know, when, you, when you're inside it, it's – and even – when you retire from the game, you know, like when you're in the bubble, you're in the bubble, and when you're out of it, you are certainly out of it. Literally, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll, you pick up your locker and that's it. You clear it out, and you think, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll always be in contact with the boys and, and all that sort of thing, and go for coffees with them and brekkie, But that's not how the real world works. You got to go and earn a living. Yeah, you got to go there yeah, you got to actually go and do <laughs> work. Um, and they just continue on in that little bubble of professional environment, especially with cricket, you know, they're, they're traveling yeah. interstate, they're playing for four or five days. So you lose those connections, you know, the, the strong bonds that you have, you, you really, you're you keeping contact. Like, you know, I, I keep in contact a lot with guys like Scotty Boland, Clint McKay, Bobby Quiney, Peter yeah. Siddle, James Pattinson, the guys that I was really close with in the squad, I always see, but well, not always, life's busy you know kids get in the way yeah. now and <laughs> there's things that you just you, you know I, I hadn't seen Clint McKay or his or his little boy f- for about oh what's he nearly yeah a year and a half I think now and I hadn't seen him mm. so I went round to his house for dinner the other night with with Tato and it was it was awesome to see him but life gets busy and you know yeah. it's it's really tough so any Any time that I can give advice to youngsters on being injured and how to productively use your time, study, find out what your interests are. You know, I did a lot of radio and I was lucky with that. Um, RSN were were really good to me and I used to love it because I loved all sport, but, you know, go and talk a bit of horse racing, which was sort of my background growing up, Um, you know, and and speaking about sport was awesome. So to do that and to, to try and get out of the bubble and to try and make yourself Better skilled so that you can, you know, just transition really well into the afterlife of, of sporting, um, of, of playing professional sport. Then please do because it's it's a tough time if you know.
0: Yeah, it's, it's it is a great point, and I think that sporting bodies like AFL or Cricket Australia could. Definitely I think the only way to actually get it into young athletes' minds is having players like you that have lived it that mm. can actually <clears throat> show them that experience of yeah. keep busy, get away from sport. So you were you were pretty fortunate to um head over to India a couple more times in your career. Um with the IPL, two thousand eleven you got picked up by Chennai and then two thousand sixteen by Kolkata. Mm. Um what was that what was that like what was what was it like being in the auction because i'm sure people think oh like how cool <laughs> is that you can put your name in an auction get a little bit of money and head over to india and yeah. play a bit of cricket for eight weeks yeah
1: no it was well it was actually a funny story we were playing a day night game against new south wales at the scg when we were still playing on the main sort of test grounds um yeah i remember it as clear as day there was the auction day we were all like right oh boys were all in the auction there's finchies in there had cam white was in there he went for I think he went – I think Hus was first, actually. He might have went for a million. And then – no, yep. Whitey well, went for a million then Huss went for like nine eighty or something like that. And I was like, oh, your shat, boys, blah, blah, blah. Cash in, boys. And, um, and then I, I got picked up $20,000. I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> this is a stitch-up. I think I spent more over there than, than I actually earned. But um, no, they, they – uh, I, I still remember it to this day. I was laughing my head off. I thought, this is hilarious. 20 grand. These blokes are on a million plus. It's great. Um, <laughs> but uh, the experience in itself, when I went over and played for Chennai, it was phenomenal. Um, I had four international captains in my team. I had Brendan McCullum, Dwayne Bravo, Faf Duplicy and MS Dhoni. So, you know, to, to draw on that knowledge was, was exceptional. And it made me a much better cricket brain, I reckon, to, to then, you know, try and pushed that into the, the next little bit and made me into a, a handy T20 bowler. So, you know, if you can't learn in that sort of environment, it's whilst it's, you know, really good fun and it's awesome to be around, Stephen Fleming as well was, was our coach. Um, yeah. you know, we had Andy Bickle was bowling coach and these sorts of guys have played for a long time and you just, you get to work with different people and see how everyone else trains. Um, you know, Donnie used to train, I used to not be able to bowl to him in the nets because... All he wanted to do was really? hit bombs, and fly them over into the stadium. He got the groundsman to bring the nets forward. So there was no roof on the net. So you could just see how far his balls were going. But I used to just bowl <laughs> slow ball bounces to him because I didn't want to get hit for six. And he goes, Hastings, hey, not in this net. Go in the other one. <laughs> so, <laughs> get uh, out. Yeah, get out. You're not bowling that shit in here. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, it was it was awesome. You know, we had Suresh Rayner. Ravi Ashwin was in our team as well. Um you know, these sorts of guys, you just get – it's phenomenal. Um, Jadeja was in our team as well. So, you know, if you can't try and improve in that, then, you know, you can't improve anywhere. So it was, it was an amazing time. Yeah. And the way that those boys get looked after, it's just second to none. You know, it's almost like royalty yeah. over there. So it was, it was a
0: really good experience. What about what about Kolkata? Was it any different being a little bit older and going over to a different place? Was it any different to, to Chennai?
1: Yeah, it was um, different setup. I think Chennai were Chennai were different in a sense that they just they were so big, you know. They they had yeah. the biggest names of the biggest names, and they had a lot of success. And Qaeda had as well. They were probably the second team underneath Chennai for the most amount of tournaments. And I, I was I was more excited about going over. To play for Calcutta than I was Chennai because I thought that I wouldn't get a game for Chennai, but I thought I might have been a sneaky chance. I was at the top of my game, um, you know. I had had some of the best years leading into playing for the Chen- uh, playing for Calcutta. I started, so I played the first two games. I think I was, I think I got two for eight off three overs in the first game. Oh well, wow. yeah. and then I think the next game I was still going to go on at like three and over. And I've played the first two and I'm thinking, right, this is going to be awesome here. You know, this is going to set me up for the next little bit. And then next game went out for warm-up. I just felt a crack in my ankle and I was like, oh what was that? Anyway, the toss, yeah. had, already, toss had already gone. So I had to play and I was like, something's not right here. So I got it strapped up, taped it, did a painkillers and ended up bowling not, not all that well. I couldn't really get over my front leg and... Um. turned out I had a stress fracture in my, my ankle. So I was like, oh, you know, just Jeez. one thing after another and just another set of bad luck. That was where I said when went had the MRI, um, you know, in the previous story. But, yeah, uh, it's, it's funny. I, I, I really enjoyed my time at Calcutta. I was only there for sort of a month, but I would have loved to have yeah. had a crack at it that year. I was just unfortunate that I you know, got struck down. I'd had a really big four-year block before that without too many injuries, really. I had a little bit of back pain, and a couple of fashion joints, but broken finger and that's about it. And I thought, you know, this could be yeah. this could be really, really good. But, you know, we had Jack Callis there, was was in the coaching group and there were some seriously good players. Um, so, you know, for, for me to go down like that, I was absolutely spewing. We had Dre Russ there as well. It was just yeah. – it would have been awesome, but, yeah, not to be.
0: Yeah. You mentioned some of them, them names like – and and talking about how – the knowledge that you can pick from their brains. Is it, it'd probably be a hard question to even say who would be the best leader that you played under or spoke to or the best knowledge that mm. I, I imagine you, you captaining the side for the stars, like you would have had that much knowledge coming from so many different yeah. amazing players and leaders. What was, who, who was, who really stood out to you and what do you think makes them a good leader?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, you know, I think probably. The, the best cricket brain that I ever played with was Cameron White. Cameron he was phenomenal. And for me, he knew my game inside and out. He bounced ideas off me left, right and centre. and But I would bounce them off him and he'd say, no, no, just execute this or execute that and really simplified the game for me. And that's sort of, I owe a lot to him in a sense because he did really open me up to, I thought I had to bowl a Yorker, then a slow ball, then whatever and really mix it up. But the more we simplified things, and the more we stuck to the plan, you know, the better I became. So I, I I owe a lot to him in terms of the back end. Probably the last five six years of my career, I really started to sink in. So he he would be the best cricket brain I think in terms of leadership. I don't. It's hard to go past probably St- Stephen Fleming for me. I, I just think the way he went about things, and uh, it's interesting. You you know, you mentioned the Melbourne Stars. That was probably one of the hardest twelve months of my career. Um, I, really? I stuck my hand up and wanted to be captain. You know, I've really pushed hard for Flem to, to give me the captaincy. But looking back on it, it was just about the time where I started to cough up blood um, with my lungs and have yeah. a blood vessels sort of thing. And, you know, and then you look around the group of the Melbourne Stars and there's Glenn Maxwell, there's Kevin Peterson, um, you know, Stoinis, Hanscom, Zampa, Luke Wright, Huge personalities, um, you know, and and everyone was individuals and and we're very different and I found it really hard to try and stamp an authority sort of leadership style to it. So, I sort of gave a lot of rope to a lot of guys to help me out and I probably in hindsight shouldn't have done that. I should have stuck my guns a lot more and went with my gut feel, but... Yeah, I mean it's it's disappointing. Um, it was hard to take because I love the club so much, and then um, you know to, to have it all pan out like it did it was it was probably yeah. the, the toughest toughest you know moment of my career. I reckon it was just seeing how it all went pear shaped when we had such a good side, and yeah. you know you can't help feel res- responsible for that. I dropped a few catches which I rarely do. Um, you know, I think i dropped any one game. At the, the MCG and he went up and get 70 and it's just there's so many more things going through your head and there's no matter how many plans you have you can go all go out the window in the first six balls in T20 so you know we thought yeah. we did as much planning as we possibly could we, we thought we'd, we'd had a really good game plan but you know it just wasn't it wasn't happening for us and that was really tough to take.
0: Yeah it, it's one of them things though isn't it? I think you're a little bit hard on yourself there around. Because T20 is just one of them games, isn't it, that you might just get a player on their day that literally just takes a game away from you. Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's and that's right. I mean, that can happen. It is such an up-and-down game. So it's it's probably even... I always say, you know, you're never too up when you're up and you're never too down when you're down. you got to try and stay as level yeah. as you possibly can. And that's certainly what T20 mantra is. You know, you, you can't... If you get yeah. up and down in T20, it's it's, it's a nightmare. But, um, yeah, there's certainly... Looking back, it was certainly a... a I would have done a lot differently, um, but hindsight's a wonderful yeah. thing, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is. We you were lucky enough to throughout your career to, to travel to some amazing places and play for so many different teams and mm. go from cricket season to cricket season and, and IPLs and stuff like that. There's a lot of obviously a lot of travelling, and it it's amazing that you that you got to travel to so many amazing countries and, and witness so many cultures. What, what's it like mentally to be away from family and friends and stuff for so long because you spent literally months and months on end on tour the whole time yeah it's tough
1: um you know uh,
0: and i think this
1: is where a lot of the australian public sort of got it got it a little bit wrong in my opinion is that you know they're pretty hard on on the guys look i'm not not excusing what happened in cape town at all um but i'll try and give everyone a little bit of an insight or to step into the mindset of, of where you're at after being on the road for nine and a half months you know that's you make some poor decisions and the fatigue levels that you feel are absolutely unbelievable you think oh no you're playing for your country it's awesome you know you, you're so good you miss miss guy's weddings you miss birthdays you miss funerals you miss a lot of stuff when you're away on the road and you know even to an extent one of the guys I played with missed his the birth of his first child you know and it's like what are the sacrifices you're giving up to try and play? Yes, you are playing professional sport. Yes, you are representing your country. And yes, you are getting paid well for it. But that doesn't excuse or change the fact that there's certain things you've got to deal with when you're away. And that's simply sleeping in your own bed 10 nights out of one year. You know, that that was one of the years that I had and it was like, Jeez, it's incredible. You, you miss touch with with every everything back in Australia. Yes, you can pick up the phone and speak to people, but it's not the same. And there's so many pressures on the road. Even when you're a professional playing for an English team, there's a lot more pressure on you than there is any other one in that side because you're getting paid the overseas bucks, and they're pretty brutal over yeah. in England, you know. So <laughs> it's it's just it is just it's hard to deal with, and it's hard to mentally get yourself in a position where you 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 can get through that um i was just lucky that those sort of experiences came towards the back sort of five years of my career cycle was sort of mentally strong enough to be able to deal with that you know i have my wife traveling with me a lot of the time which was great um that's almost the comfort from home you know what i mean just a bit of normality having someone so close to you around um not everyone gets that opportunity um but yeah yeah, it's it's tough, and I really feel for the guys who get canned a lot um, in the media and, uh, and in the public eye, because they, let's be honest, they've got no no idea what goes on on tour. They yeah. they simply don't. You know, you can look, sit behind your desk and have a look at what's going on over in tours, but until you actually live through it and know what it's like, you, you've got absolutely no idea. So, um, in, in saying that, once you get through that period and and. You know mentally get yourself in a position where you can try and deal with it it is a lot of fun yeah. being away from home um but it is challenging there's so many different things you know you have a bad day in the field and you go home and you sit sitting in your apartment and you go well oh, what am i going to do now you know where are my mates these guys i've met two weeks <laughs> yeah. ago you know but yeah it's all there's all sorts of different things and i think you know what happened obviously in cape town was horrific and that should never have happened but I know that on the back of that sort of 12-month period, they'd been home oh, maybe for three, four weeks, I reckon. And I could see it in 2017 after guys had come from our summer into the IPL, into the Champions Trophy in England. Yeah. Everyone was absolutely cooked. And we were sort of the hot favourites to win that Champions Trophy along with India. And we just performed so badly because everyone was absolutely knackered. It was, it was an ICC event and we should have been absolutely in our prime to be trying to, to yeah. win that trophy and we just weren't. You know, a lot of guys were sort of oh, planning a holiday here or a holiday there. They just saw an end, end date in sight yeah. and you, you can be forgiven for doing that, no doubt. Everyone's human. Um, there's only so much you can take.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, one thing that I, I remember, I think it was at a Victorian session, I think I was coming into bowl after you or something like that but i remember you, you you ran down into into the rooms after the game after the bowl that you had in the nets and you ended up finding out that you had that um, another b- blood vessel what 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 is that what is that injury? and yeah. in? like how did you end up taking that because it's just so different to the shoulder surgeries and other surgeries that you've had yeah
1: and no, it was it was a weird one um you know I, towards the back end of my career i took a lot of anti-inflammatories um yeah and Oh, I, I sort of felt it happening probably about three years or four years towards the end of my career, and I didn't really know. It wasn't until now, looking back, what it was. Um, I just thought it was the the flames, and you know, I had a bit of an ulcer in my stomach or something like that. And Every now and then at training or in a game, I'd, I'd cough up little bits of blood, and I just thought, oh well, you know, it didn't happen a lot, but it might have been once or twice a season. And then when I started the season that I captained the stars before it, I don't know what triggered it or what happened, but I started coughing up large amounts of blood. Like they were, it was quite large, you know, like it was half a pot glass of, of blood that was coming up in, in a session. I'm like, something's not right here. So um, I went and got all these tests done and um, they couldn't really explain to me what was happening at the start. Um, you know, I went on a treadmill and did a, a stress test and all those sort of things. They tested my heart, they tested my lungs. At one stage they thought my, my heart was pumping too, Much blood into my lungs, so I was too efficient and too big. But then they dismissed that because you know that's it hadn't happened my whole career. So the only thing they could sort of explain to me was it was potentially a little bit of vasculitis in my lungs, which was inflamed blood vessels that were weakening over time with the pressure just from years and years and years of bowling. Um, So that's sort of what the end diagnosis sort of was. Um, You know, they couldn't really tell me whether I was you know, there was going to be any long-term damage or whether I was going to have a fatal bleed and drop dead on the field. Or so there was a lot of unknowns for me that I was uncomfortable with moving forward. Um,
0: yeah. It had
1: happened in a couple of weightlifters were lifting heavy overhead weights that had episodes of blood vessels bursting and coughing up blood. But in anyone else, especially in the cricket team, they'd never seen it before. A couple of triathletes had had it from exertion, but you know, I saw the best doctors in Australia and they, I still really couldn't get down to the bottom of it. But in the end it was, yeah, it was just wasn't worth risking the unknowns for me to be able to push through when I was 30, sort of, you know, when was I 30, nearly 33. I just thought, you know, if I was 23 or four, I might've gone to the end of the earth to try and figure it all out. But it was a lot more sort of uncomfortable testing processes that they wanted to do. And I just, in the end made the decision that it was, it was the right time to, to walk away and, um, I still yeah. haven't really bowled and tested it all out at all. So. Um, yeah. Well. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's a weird one because I, you know, obviously I've got got a gym now and I work out a lot and I try and stay fit and run and do all that sort of stuff. And I cannot ever replicate that pressure at the, at the bowling crease. So you know, for me, I can box, I can row, I can run, I can swim, and it still would never happen. Um, so yeah. that's the strangest thing for me was just that. No, I, I just couldn't really explain it. It was it was
0: a really tough one. Yeah, well, wow. how was how was your transition then from retiring mm. out into the real world? Because it happened so suddenly for you. I'd, yeah, you, you you obviously wanted to finish that season and and play the rest of the season out. Like, and yeah. then you had to just there. It's done. Like the yeah. fifteen year career just done like that. Yeah, no, it
1: was um, it was certainly tough, and you know, I, I took it pretty hard for the first few months. Um, but. It was the year that um, you know the, the TV rights still got split between Seven and Fox, yeah. and I'd always set myself up to try and step into the media in some sort of capacity. And I'd done a lot of radio, um, did a little bit of commentary on radio. I've done a couple of games for Fox previously when I was injured. I was lucky that they needed some bodies to fill and end up doing 20 games for, for Fox. So I sort of was really busy and I was yeah. still travelling and it sort of was like I wasn't out of the cricket circle. So I was pretty lucky, I think, in that regard. Um, so I did a lot of games, a lot of radio games, and, and then I got a regular spot with RSN once a week and it was awesome, you know. It, it was sort of where I wanted to be. And yeah. And we had a cafe that we were starting up with my wife and, and her cousin, um, Paula and Tom, who are our business partners. And, um, yeah, that was – put my all my efforts into that. I was doing the fit-out with with Tom, who's a, a builder, and it was awesome. You know, I, I just loved my time being busy and I away from the game because I was pretty drained towards the end of it as well. Um, fell into the, the cafe a little bit. Um, yeah. But it's been awesome. Um, you know, I was there working flat out for the first few months um now i'm not allowed to do anything in there i'm sacked because i'm hopeless <laughs> but um yeah it was awesome and then you know an opportunity that had been in the pipes for for many years was um was strong so uh, it's yeah. it's like a it's the best way to explain it is it's a pilates inspired cardio infused workout it's sort of a pilates bed with a rower inbuilt into the actual bed so it's like high intensity pilates and yeah, I, I was, you know we've started up that same business partners Tom and Paul are in with us and um I it's an awesome concept and I hadn't been fitter before COVID nineteen I put on about eight kilos I think in COVID I have just been <laughs> enjoying just sitting on the couch doing nothing but um yeah it's it's funny how life works and how the journey sort of goes goes on but I think if I didn't have that Commentary to fall into, or the cafe, I, I would have found myself in a really dark place. Um, but I was lucky; yeah. I was busy, and that sort of transition was a little bit easier for me because I'd set myself up with that media experience to be able to then step into to that and do a reasonable job. So,
0: yeah,
1: that that's always one of the, the biggest things that I can say to youngsters coming through is that you have to set yourself up. You, you, you know, study when you can, use the off season really well. Use the downtime really well. There's so much downtime when you're playing professional sport. You could have three or four hours a day, even outside the time that you have to relax. You know, to, yeah. to be able to work on your skills and upskill yourself. And there's so many little courses you can do. And um, in the end, you know, I had no experience running a cafe. My, my wife did, and I had no experience running a gym. But you, you set yourself up in a way that you get good people around you, and you, you try and research everything you possibly can do, and. There's yeah. courses along the way and that's sort of the way you got to look at it because if you don't, you know, it's, it can be a dark place. I've seen teammates retire and have nothing to go to and, and be, you know, really struggle for the first 12, 18 months that they're out of the game. So, mm. as I said earlier, you, you literally clean out your locker and you don't hear from anyone and that's just the way it is. It's, you know, yeah. I'd, I was guilty of it as well, not staying in touch with former teammates, but the reality of it, it's pretty tough.
0: Yeah, it is, isn't it because you got your own things going on in your life. Yeah, um,
1: exactly, and everyone does. So it's you
0: know it's hard. Yeah. did, did when you say that you, you fell into the, to the cafe and mm. and strong as well? Did you always have that entrepreneurial side that you wanted to start something yourself, or was it literally just that you had your business partners? You had Bree there that was like, let's get into mm. this and start this.
1: Yeah, we we I've always been one to have a crack. Like you know, it's yeah. not. I'd rather be having a crack and, and learning and doing stuff for myself than for someone else. And that's always the way I've looked at it. You know, I don't, yeah. don't leave anything to anyone else, but I'd always love the idea of having a cafe or having a wine bar, but you know, how are you going to run it? You got no, you got no idea. <laughs> so you, you need to be able to try and get in position um, or have people come in with you that know that sort of landscape. So that's exactly yeah. what we did. And, um, you know, I was Tom and Paula's idea and, and we just, you know sat around and went through the processes tick the boxes off what do we need to do we need to get a permit we needed to go to council we need to you know have the money for the fit out we need to try and get a coffee what coffee beans are using so the whole process was was awesome you know getting a head chef involved and it's an endless tiresome process but it's really rewarding to to see a space come together how you would envisage it envisage it yeah. and then have some of the locals get around it and, and it go so well so you know i in the end of the day we just had a crack and um we knew what the area needed but we a lot of, i think a lot of people have a lot of great ideas but you know some people just don't back themselves and sit on their ideas for a long time but we sort of we had the balls to act on it and um yeah. you know if it, if it went if it went pear shaped then you know at least we had a crack and and we knew but yeah it was it was good you know now we have sort of got it down pat and it's going really well so yeah. running a pretty tight ship now which is good and my wife's been in hospitality for for 10 years and she does a really good yeah. job running the place you know it's sort of it's her baby in a sense um so yeah she's done a great job
0: yeah i, I don't know if the, if the credit needs to go to you um but nah, i've, not I've literally <laughs> I, i've literally spoke to quite a few people and they say it's one of the best cafes um, down the peninsula, way, mate. So you've obviously <laughs> yeah. uh, you've done a good job there. Literally, yeah, I, everyone I speak to, I, I love, love eating it. food. I love eating food. That's about <laughs>
1: it.
0: <laughs> uh, it's, it's good. And, it- yeah,
1: and as I said, it's nice that we we moved down five years ago, and there was sort of no slice of Melbourne down here that because we we knew there was a lot of our friends that were moving down to the peninsula. There yeah. was a lot of young up and coming professionals that had money that had not too many nice places to go to get a really decent coffee and to get some really awesome breakfast. So we tried to do that as much as we could and that's. I'm glad, you know, we haven't had too many complaints. We've had a few, but you know, that's that's life.
0: How did you come up with the name, Mr. Frankie? Who's Frankie? We,
1: Tommy came up with it. It was Mr. Frankie, Frankston South, Frankie, you know, yeah. that, that's sort of, yeah, everyone sort of asked that. And we're just like, yeah, well, we don't really know. We're probably just sitting around and having a couple of glasses of wine one night and went, oh, well, let's just call it <laughs> this. Call
0: this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. Well, yeah, thanks for, like, thanks for the knowledge and, and all the experiences and stuff that you've gone through. And um, I think you've just got a wealth of knowledge that, could be used very well for a lot of young players coming through the system and, uh, and good luck to, to all the ventures and, and to Strong and, and Mr. Frankie and it's been a pleasure to have you on, mate. I've, I've loved it. Thanks, Tex. Appreciate it,
1: mate. Good on you.
0: Well, I hope you had a laugh with myself and the big Duke and took something out of it. You can get in contact with me at any social media platform, The Athlete Diaries. Stay safe, guys, and hopefully see you next week.